Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, God, for this great day. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you for the mist that, that just reminds us that down below it may seem dark, but up above it's always uh, bright. Uh, your glory shines above all darkness and through the darkness. Thank you for this time uh, together, and I just pray that we continue to encourage each other and strengthen each other as we try to serve you and as you've called us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So first thing, reminder, tonight at, at Han Fireside Room at 5 o'clock, we're having our Kairos dinner. So come to that. We're gonna, you're going to hear a little more about what we're doing. Um, I'm Ron Clark. I'm Executive Director for Kairos Church Planning. I started March 1st, 2020, officially. Stan Granberg had founded the organization back in 2005, and um, I was, so Lori and I were the third church planters with Kairos, Agape Church of Christ. The whole story is I was preaching at a larger church in Gresham outside of Portland. We had a ministry in the community. We did a lot of work. The church had grown you know, over 500. We were at two services, and um, I just felt really called to do something else because a lot of what we were trying to do, there was difficulties. Uh, when you have a church that's growing and you're trying to help it to be ethnically diverse, work with poverty, work in the community with domestic violence agencies, it's really hard sometimes for people who've been established to embrace a lot of that. So I met with a guy named Kip McKean. I was converted in the pre-ICOC, and he was there in Portland. We had coffee together. I didn't tell him I was looking. Uh, you know, I just had said, you know, uh, once your prayers, and then... We were at Starbucks. He left Stan Granberg, the founder of Kairos Church Planning, uh, who I knew. We taught together at Cascade College. He came and sat down, and I just dumped on him. I just said, I'm, I don't want to move south. I want to stay in the northwest, but this has been frustrating. And he said, I think you're a church planner. I think you, and I said, well, Lori won't go for it. And he said, well, ask her. And I did. I went and asked Lori, and she said, uh, yeah, I think we should plan a church. Uh, so we went with Kairos. Uh, we were funded um, Park Plaza Church of Christ in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We, we, launched, we started meeting in a home with 15 people in 2006, 2015, we, 2007 we launched on Easter. And it was fun, we were about 13 and a half years. And then when Stan retired, um, he said, put your name in the hat, I did. And uh, March 1st, 2020, I officially started. And I told the Lord, I can, I can do speaking, I can do teaching, I can do the text work. I'm just not very good at fundraising and administrative work and God's been faithful you know COVID hit and God said guess what <laughs> something's going to happen for two years and you're going to learn how to do all that stuff so we have uh, God has been faithful but it's been a fun ride I got a great staff uh, Bruce and Patty are here uh, Bruce is our director of coaching Patty's our marketing communications director uh, we've got others here as well and I've known Michael Chafin for quite a while he's with, been with the network and uh we're working with uh, the La Mesa crew. They're going to be uh, are continuing to work with us. So you know, it's been a fun COVID, but COVID has forced us to pivot. And, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about how we've had to do that and how we see church planning in a digital age. First of all, I have to make a note here. What is the mission of Kairos? Who are we? Um, so when Stan and Gina started Kairos in 2005, they had planted churches in Africa. They were part of that whole group, the Coxes, the Van Rians, you know, the Rapperts, that whole group that planted churches in Kenya. Uh, Stan was in, um, in uh, the, the Vancouver, Portland area, and he just, uh, teaching at Cascade, he just said, you know, 
the tears of God for the church, you know, uh, are coming because these young people are leaving church. They, they find the church meaningless. They, the church is struggling. I mean, being in ministry for years, you know, the church has always struggled to be who God's called us to be, but we've just got political issues, and sometimes it's a little bit like the Pharisees. You know, they're leaders with a good heart, but they've gotten caught up in trying to keep the government off the, everybody's back, you know, and so Stan was like, man, the tears of God can bring fruit, and so that's where Kairos was born. The seeds grow out of the tears of God, and the idea is that Kairos's goal is to equip leaders to plant church, so our role is not so much to plant churches, but equip people, get them prepared so that they can plant churches. New churches, new places for new people. You know, we had, uh, at Agape, we had, we had women in prostitution that came to our church. They wouldn't be welcome in a lot of churches, you know. We didn't wear a suit and tie, so we had homeless people that were there because we didn't wear a suit and a tie, you know. We had a lot of people in our churches, we had transgender people that would come and visit and hang out till, um, you know, they felt comfortable going on. Uh, but our goal was uh, we were just going to be a church for new people and we were going to welcome people. And our statement was, come as you are, but don't stay that way. You know, I mean, you come in and we're going to help you transform. And some people didn't want to do it. Other people were excited about it. But, we, you know, Stan's take was we need new churches. We need them in places where people, where there are no churches. Downtown Portland, uh, I remember after five years I had other church planners tell me, said, we're praying for you. I didn't know who these people were. And they said, 90% uh, of the churches in downtown Portland don't make it past five years. And we were at eight at the time. And I said, man, I can feel your prayers. But there are places in our, in our world, but definitely in the United States, where there are no churches. And, and people live there. People go to school there. People are in apartment complexes. There are no church buildings, no church communities. So our goal is to put new churches there. Uh, it's a nationwide movement of new churches growing from the heart and the fellowship of churches of Christ. I was converted in what I said was the pre-ICOC movement. I've stayed in the churches of Christ. I believe what we teach in the church of Christ is biblical. I work with academics. Um, uh, I think we have a lot of scholars in our churches of Christ who are duking it out with a lot of liberals um, because we believe in the vision of the churches of Christ, that we are a people of the Bible, that we follow the word, that we want to be New Christian, New Testament Christians, that we want to restore the church. We're not going to be so much judging everybody. Our goal is just to say, this is who we are. We need to get back to being a people who are known for knowing God. And so this is a movement within the churches of Christ, and that's been their, their heart. Our biblical beliefs are that God seeks people. Okay. Now, if God's seeking people, then we should be seeking people too. And the frustration probably most of you feel is that your church isn't seeking people. Church is keeping, you know, keeping the safe safe. Kairos' view is that God seeks people. Creative engagement. We want people to come to Christ and the Spirit will empower them to creatively find ways to do ministry. Creatively find ways to do great work. And that's what the, the goal of the Spirit, how do you do that? You don't just say, well, we're only going to look at the deacons for help. You, know? you look to your people for help. You look for them to come in. What, what should I do? I don't know. You tell me. What can you do? You know, how, can, I, can, I, can I study with my neighbor? Sure. You know, rather than, well, let me do it for you. See? So the idea is we're trying to create artists. There are artists that have talent, giftedness, and beautiful. Uh, I mean, we had... 
a lady who grown up, her dad was a, her grandpa was an elder in the Church of Christ. She was horribly abused and mistreated by him. She was a beautiful artist. Man, she would create artwork and we'd put it up and show it. And it's amazing what the Spirit would do in this, this woman's life as she was growing in a trauma. You know, we need space for that. Uh, and, and so our churches are going to have to be creative. How are we going to do this as a church? How are we going to get outside of a building? Transforming presence. That our basic belief is that when people come into the presence of God, their lives will transform. Also, their lives should transform when they're in the presence of God. If they're not, there's, then we need to help them get at the root of the problem, get at the root of sin, help them deal with their issues. Uh, uh, recovery ministries are so necessary in churches. Church plants are the perfect place to do recovery ministry because it, it, it's a testimony to the power of God. And divine empowerment, that the Spirit empowers people to do ministry. That our goal is not to get people to just do things for us, but like we had, um, and we sang a cappella at Agape, um, but we had musicians who would have a small group and they would create artwork. And, and my take was, man, if you're going to play music, play music for God, wherever you are. And they would, they would meet in their group and they would play in bars or wherever they would play, play music for God. We believe that the Spirit was empowering them to get out there with that message. So our basic beliefs are very much in those areas. Our values are planter care. Our goal is to care for church planters. And that was the first question I asked when I interviewed, uh, came on and interviewed with our staff. What is the role of Kairos Church Planting Support? To support the planters. Our role, we weren't doing that too well before. You know, we had to go back and deal with that the first couple of years. But our goal is to care for planters, make sure that they're equipped and ready to develop relationships with churches, with people, with planters, to develop a network. Creativity is our, is our value. Um, we don't say, okay, you're going to plant this kind of church. It's got to be this model. It's got to be this number by this time. It's got to make this much money by this time. Our goal is to let you create a church that's going to reach people, and they're diverse. Campus ministries, uh, we've got one of the arts ministries. We have various different... Uh, types of plants, but we want creativity. And this is where in the digital age that's going to be an important issue because uh, we're already seeing with COVID we've had to find creative ways to do, to do church, to do ministry. And we definitely have to be looking that direction. And then, of course, we believe that it's important to plant churches for the future. Um, the future of our movement is based upon planting churches. In fact, Kit McKean told me, and he quoted a uh, uh, article that Rule Lemons, anybody know who he is? Conservative writer for a firm foundation in 1980, Rule Lemons said, we're not growing because we're not planting churches. <coughs> 20 years later, Stan Granberg said, we're not growing because we're not planting churches. Okay. Now, 20 years later, 2020, I'm not as profound a speaker as them, and my name won't live on like that, but I would agree with them. We're not growing because we're not planting churches. So that's our future, is planting churches in the churches of Christ, in any, any movement. Our values are that leaders matter. We're creating networks. Church planning takes courage. Um, you know, it's hard work. And we are looking for people who have courage. And that, uh, apprenticing, mentoring apprentices takes courage. So you're donating, supporting, praying for church plants, joining a church plant, that takes courage. And we value that. You know, the courage to face, face your demons, the courage to face what God has called you to do the courage to move forward, and it takes hope. Church plants provide hope. We want to provide hope in our communities. 
uh, I, you know, and, and that's who we are. We, we are uh, going in and helping churches revive because we want them to know that there's hope. You may have to close the doors. You may not. But we want you to know that there's hope. You, know, you, can, you can do whatever you do with a sense of hope. All right, and there's that quote from Rule Lemons. Uh, and, and, you know, I show this a lot because it just tells me we know this. This is our history. We, uh, if you were at the Heritage 21 presentation last night, we have historically planted churches. We have always been about planting churches. Rule Lemons said we, are, we have stopped planting churches. Stan Granberg says we have stopped growing because we're not planting churches. We are in a position where we've got to plant churches. In fact, um, brand new book on the state of theological education. If you think churches are losing people, seminaries, grad schools are closing. Uh, just uh, Jeff, uh, let's see, Ken Krakowski from Abilene Christian told me Bright Divinity School, their incoming classes are usually 70 people. They had 16 this last semester. Seminaries are starting to reflect and say, what do we need to do? We need to train people differently. And then in this brand new book they had, they said, actually repair a new construction or what we need to be preparing people for, which means church planning and revival. We, we can't train people to go into existing churches and lead them. We've got to train people to start new churches or repair ones that are broken. So our schools know it. Uh, I don't think they're doing the best job. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I teach at George Fox. Uh, seminary, and I, I have students that are not prepared to go out in the ministry. They don't get around people. They're not in their communities, and I think you're going to get an MDiv and go into a church. You know, I try to do what I can, but the point is our schools are struggling. So this is the crisis that we're facing. And here we are at Kairos. We want to plant churches. We want to be a network. We're finding out that there's a huge need, and then COVID hit. This is where we get into the digital part. When we started March 1st and we got together and suddenly, I mean, it was weird. Uh, we went a week or two. We were planning our staff retreat in Jonesboro, Arkansas on March 13th. And uh, so March 12th, we were going to fly out of Portland. COVID was hitting. We thought, you know what, we're going to do it online. And you could just see throughout the country, you know, that Sunday, every church closed. Because I kept thinking, maybe we should have just gone and then we could have gone to church in the Midwest, you know. No, everybody closed. It just shut down. And we, we came together and we said, what are we going to do? And so what we decided to do, and, and one of our board of directors is Charla Griffey-Brown, who teaches here at Pepperdine the Law at Business School. She's um, huge on COVID pivot. And she was really influential at saying, hey, we need to start looking at different ways. I teach online at George Fox. They COVID pivoted. Everything's now online for them. What we figured was we're going to try to pivot because we want to train. We still want to do assessments. So we have two ways to assess and prepare planners. We have a discovery lab where people come. We, judge, we uh, do um, 13 Ridley's, 13 characteristics of successful church planners. There are a few that are, you know, knockouts, as we call them, that you have to have. So we assess them in discovery lab. We help them put together, a, work as a team to put together a church plant. And then if they get the green light, great. If they get the yellow light, we need them to work a little more. If they get the red light, it means they're, not, they're probably not going to be ready, and we encourage them to think of a different position. Once they come out of the assessment, then down the road, they're to take strategy lab, where we give them the strategy, the tools to come up with the kingdom vision and plant the church or campus ministry, the type of ministry they have. So our take was we're not going to be able to meet people face-to-face. -face, so how are we going to do this? So we started 
experimenting. We had discovery labs online, and we would develop, uh, we call it cohort models, uh, where we would have teams, and we would meet with them once a week for a month and prepare them for this all-day Zoom, or all-day Friday night, all-day, all Friday night, all-day Saturday, two weeks later, you know, uh, two-day Zoom, uh, which was not the best idea, but it was the best we had at the time. And as time has gone on, we've developed that discovery lab where we do prep work in Google Classroom online, and then we, uh, we are able to work with them, and then we have a, a kind of a face-to-face -face Zoom, or we'll, we'll have a follow-up meeting with them. But we've pivoted to where now we're, we're taking people and we're doing the assessments online. We've worked with strategy labs. We did a strategy lab all online, kind of found some kinks in it, and now we've developed a hybrid model where we uh, prepare people and then we go do an on-site intensive face-to-face uh, -face training lab. The point is, what we, what we found is we had to pivot, and we found that there were some good things about, about online and there were some struggles online. For instance, um, we, we started with the Discovery Lab where we had the eight-hour Zoom. We found out that wasn't the best. Uh, and one of my professors, we interviewed her. She came on and said, you know, you can't do more than an hour or two on Zoom. It's not healthy for people. We're like, oh, I think now we know. But uh, we learned. Zoom fatigue was a big thing. I'm tired of Zoom. I'm tired of Zoom. Everything's on Zoom. I'm tired of Zoom. And Zoom fatigue was one. Uh, an issue we were running, we can't develop personal connectedness. I talked with Phil Claycomb from Nexus last week about uh, they, did a one, they did one person online. They said, we hate it. Our Discovery Labs are front porch. We want to be able to look at them. We want to see them hold hands. We want to see them talk. We want to see them, how, do they sit together? Do they sit apart? We want to look at all of those social cues. And so we, we recognize that we're not getting that personal connection with people if we're doing online assessing. When we talk about Ridley's, you know, uh, are you a good starter gatherer? We want to find that out. Uh, uh, that comes through interviewing, through, through talking. Uh, what kind of a personality we do, Myers-Briggs and so forth. Uh, we're having issues getting all of that online. You know, we do, uh, they do uh, prepare and enrich online with couples. Um, they've got ways to check and see if people are being honest, but we're, you know, we were struggling with that. But we're honest, with, with online work and assessing, there were some issues that we were running into. However, we did find that um, while we missed out on personal connections, uh, we're developing uh, more of a written style of, of interview. You know, you're going to write you know, about the, you know, are you, how are you a starter gathering? We see a person face to face, give us three examples. Now we're gonna have them write, and sit down and put some thought into it. And then we'll have people who will read that. So instead of you know, 20 minutes to give us your, your examples of starting and gathering or a vision, how you communicate vision, we're going to have you write and think through it. Because we're asking questions, is it important that people give us the list or is it important that we, we know that they're doing the work? And we've, we've had some people who you know, they don't recall right away and they need to think through some things. And, so we begin to ask, you know, maybe what's really important is finding out if the people are doing the work rather than if they can just give me a list of, of things they do. Uh, yes, we're not getting to know the candidates. Yes, we're not getting to have outside conversations during lunch or supper or when we kind of hang out and have coffee when we have this in-person four or five day lab. Uh, relationships are hard to develop online. Um, we're, uh, we're running out of, you know, the time is we're, we're cramp cramming this in a very 
short time, so we feel like we're hurrying things through. Um, when we do face-to-face, -face, we can dump information. You know, while that's hard, it does work. People do retain something, and we can go back in and help walk through that. Uh, more time to answer questions. So when we do face-to-face, -face, we were saying, hey, these are some things that we're missing out on from face-to-face. -face. But on online, um, you know, one of the things that we've had to ask with school is schools had to go online because that's just where it's going. And so one of the things that we said, if our universities are granting degrees online, and uh, I've got doctoral students that are doing their dissertations online, and I'm thinking, you know, I never meet them face-to-face -face except at graduation, but maybe there's something to that. Maybe digital media, maybe online work actually can help us prepare people. We need to leave room for that. We need to open up. If that's where our world is headed, maybe we should consider that in church planning. Um, and again, is it about the questions or are we just wanting to make sure that we know that the person is able to do the work? Um, cost, it's cheaper to do things online. It's cheaper for us because we don't have to fly everywhere. We don't have to fly our whole team somewhere. People don't have to fly there. They can actually do it online. This cost is effective. And we're able to do more people with a limited staff when we do things online. So I'm just throwing out to you there that this is what we're experiencing. Um, and so one question would be, what's the difference between Kairos and some of the other church planning organizations? So far as I know, that I've talked with, and um, this includes Stadia, Nexus, Missions Alive, haven't talked to ARC yet. I think that we're the only one doing online assessing. And you know, now that we've hit, you know, COVID's uh, done, our take isn't, we're gonna dump it, we're gonna go face to face. We're having the conversation about can we work with both of these. So that would be one difference between us. We're seriously considering that because uh, globally, this can transfer globally. We've got people all over the world sending us, we want to plant churches, we want to plant churches. I know that there's on-site global, uh, on-site church planning, but this is so this will be a conversation we'll be having. Can, can this transfer globally? Which, again, opens up opportunities to help. You see, so that's that's what we're that's what we're finding now. So what's happened? Basically, I just to summarize all that. We've had a lot of people come in. We've continued to reboot some churches. We've got new works in place. Uh, we've got apprentices, internships up in our upcoming lab. So we have a lab now that's forming. It's got nine people. It was full. We told twelve people it's full. We don't have any room for you. Back at the end of March. So our fall lab, if we go with that, that's six couples, it's full. So as of the first week in April, we're full through the end of the year, um, which I'll talk tonight about. It's why we need money. <laughs> but uh, to us, first of all, for, from us, God is good. We pray, God, we don't want the pipeline to freeze up. God has been sending people like crazy. So we're predicting 59 individuals through the system as of the, by the end of the year as of the first week in April. That's... We've still got eight months to go, all right? So this is where we are. You know. um, is this the most effective way? I don't think so. But is this effective? I would believe so. Can we do it better? Sure. Do we have to go back to in-person, face-to-face? I don't think so. I think we can work something out. But we're, this is why, this is the digital part I wanted to share with you. We're trying to find ways to do this digitally and we were forced to do it because of COVID. We were forced to pivot. But now we're coming out saying, I think, I think this can work. You know, we, 
and we can work with this. It's going to have its faults, but everything has its faults. But God has been faithful, and God has been sending people to us, and uh, we're, we're, just, we're, we're going to try to be as faithful as we can with that. Because what we're trying to do, and this is one of the strategy lab banners. You knew I'd get that in somewhere. Here. Okay. Um, and a wrestling. I got to get a wrestling picture in there too. But anyway, uh, this is you know we're trying in strategy lab. We're trying to prepare them to you know do the groundwork to get ready to launch and to grow their churches. So we're having to ask questions. Can we do that digitally? Our hybrid model, you know, prepares them digitally for some of these spots, and then the in-person model, we get together, we help them develop their kingdom vision, and, and then we put them into coaching. But we're trying to think differently about doing ministry, and so far, um, uh, so far, I, I'm, I'm gonna suggest it's working, uh, and that was the point of, of this session, was to kind of just show some current research, but we're still a work in progress. But we do believe it's possible to, to digitally uh, assess and train and prepare church planters while, as well as doing it in a hybrid model, face-to-face. -face. And, and what I'm running into is with church plant groups is, we don't like digital, so we're not doing it. And that, that's fine. But my take is, can we do more people if we add a digital component? Can we have a hybrid model that gives us more opportunity to train people? Because my take is, God is sending a lot of people you know, with fresh ideas for church planting. So how, do we, how are we faithful? with that. Um, then we move into church planting. A, a, a big part about church planting, and we call them church leaders. Church planting is about preparing and training leaders. Uh, my dissertation was in elder development, and it was done in a book and stuff. And I, I, I do believe in elders. I believe, you know, I believe in church leadership and ministers. But I think we need to start talking about leaders in church in, in a more broader sense. Uh, what I'm concerned about is that we have people who are capable to lead people and they're not given that opportunity either because of some system we have set up or I got to ask permission here or I got to check this or can we all can I do this myself or do I have to do it with a team and really we need to be talking about people in in leadership in our communities I love what Guter said in the missional church um, it's more than preaching and teaching this is where I think we're struggling uh, what does it mean to lead uh, to preach or to teach you know and uh, I, would I would be at uh, Lipscomb at the Christian Scholars Conference when we're doing sessions, and I'd have females come with me and say, what's your, what's your view about women preaching? What's your view about women ministry? And I'd say, well, my wife's a women's minister with me. And I said, my wife would say, and this is what Lori would say, we need people to do ministry first and then talk about it later. Now, I say the same thing to guys, okay? I say the same thing to everybody. But our churches are into this get up front, that's leadership. We need to get into talking about leadership as actually being out demonstrating the kingdom, being out among people. It's not, it's not so much what you say on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever you meet or in your small group. It's what you do during the week. And that's why when we talk about sermon preparation and church planning, you know, you know in school, how many hours are you told to prepare for your sermon? When you, you know, what did we learn? Do you remember? Isn't it 25 or 30 hours? Yeah, you know, one hour for every minute you speak, right? Yeah. In church planning, we say 10 hours sermon prep. 20 hours ministry. Get out and do ministry. You'll have something to talk about. You'll be like Peter. Peter says, we are witnesses of this. You know, he didn't, he didn't uh, exegete anything. He just said, I'm telling you what I saw. This is what we did. Here it is. 
And that's the idea of leadership. We want to train people. Yes. So more pastoring and shepherding and less instructing. Yeah. Well, or, or uh, not doing it in one location, getting out. I mean, you can get out and teach out in your community, you know. Be around people who don't know Jesus. And that's the idea of leadership, is demonstrating the kingdom in your community. How? This is what's killing us. We have people coming out of schools who don't get out in the community. And we need, that's what church planning is about. We need to prepare people to get out there. If you read anything, uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. Great book, Jewish guy that wrote, uh, uh, he's a big guru in the business world. I love his book, uh, Leaders Eat Last. Marine leaders are expected to eat last because the true price of leadership is the willingness to place the needs above others on your own. He says a good leader has the best interest of other people first. Yes? So are you going to talk at all about um, maybe what was different about the church in Portland? Like why, like why did it last more than five years? Um, what was your focus? What was your, what was the key to that church plan, oh, per se? Man, it's not about me. <laughs> I, I know, no, okay, right. okay. Um, I'll try to get to it. And okay. if I don't, I'll take you to coffee. Sweet. Okay? All right. All right. Um, yeah, because I, I got a lot to say. I, I do, I find myself talking about myself a lot. I'm trying to back off of that. So. But thank you. Okay. I'm not, but um, I'll give you my perspective later and then we can. But here's what we know about churches. First of all, coming out of COVID, uh, Tom Rainer's done some great work at, at Setzer. Smaller churches are doing better during COVID. People don't realize that. We thought smaller churches were going to close. Actually, the smaller churches had core members who gave through COVID. And from, you know, the, the, the larger ones are the ones struggling. In fact, uh, Tim Spivey was talking about uh, Osborne's church uh, in San Diego, 14,000 to 4,000, you know. It's that big of a drop. Um, but smaller churches are tending to do better. Finances are still in good shape in the smaller churches. But we're seeing people move to less frequently attending church. So as we come out of COVID, the issue is going to be getting the non-attending to attend more frequently. Uh, and how do we do that in a digital age? We'll talk about that because everybody was thinking Zoom, and Zoom's going to Zoom's got to go. It's just not reaching people. There's a few people staying on Zoom. We've got to focus on the people who are there. We need to get the people off Zoom and getting coming in person, creating a culture of invitation. Uh, most of our churches were focused on surviving. What they need now to focus on is getting back out in the community, creating a culture of invitation. Uh, outreach to the community, uh, the churches that were focused on outreach to the community have consistently stayed strong through COVID. <coughs> the others made it through, but the next phase is where we're going to start seeing the struggle. If you're not in your community, yes. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you. Nope, you're okay. So do you, do you think, as a, I, I just finished two years of youth ministry that started during COVID, do you think that... God bless you, man. <laughs> do you think that as good as Zoom is... Do you think it's becoming an enabler yes. of people not showing up to physical church? I do. So would there be any benefit to simply cutting that out of our process to invite people in, or do you think that would be detrimental to some people who maybe can't come back yeah. in person? Uh, so the, what I hear, I hear plenty of ministers say they never, because they watch Facebook a lot more now. I don't understand how people will watch church on Zoom, but I'll see them at... Uh, at a bar, at a concert, without their mask on, you know, so I don't understand. Uh, so what I'm hearing is that Zoom seems to be 
uh, enabling people. And, and I would agree. Do I think you, you need to keep it? Um, some, I think it depends on your numbers, but I, I think, I think it's, it's gutsy to say, we're just gonna end it and you'll have to, we'll need to find another way to connect with you. And I, I think preferably that might be what a church needs to do uh, because uh, it, it's better time-wise. But I understand that there are some churches that they have a heart for people and they're gonna say, you know what, we need to keep this going for the one or two or three that wanna watch. Yeah, so what so I'm sounding wishy-washy, I know. Yeah. At what point does that become the new normal and 10 years from now, yeah. every church is functioning with a Zoom going, you know, and all of a sudden there are Zoom pastors and they're, you know, it's like. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like the TV, I mean, yeah. you know, those old TV evangelism conversations we had back in the 80s are suddenly important now, you know. Yeah. What do we do? If you're going to do a Zoom TV ministry, you need to do it well. But what I'm finding is a lot of, a lot of people, I mean, service is starting 10 minutes late because you're having a problem with Zoom. Mm -hmm. You're not getting people in. And it's starting to get in the way of doing the ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think you have to take a serious look at, is this worth, worth it? If we're going to do it, let's do it well. If we're just going to have it like we were having it, we, need, uh, we probably need to cut it and just say, you know, we'll, we'll try to find another way to minister to you. Yes. Um, oh no, got back. Another two, two. <coughs> um, okay. This sounds silly even coming out of my mouth as I say this. Um, what are you talking about when you say church? Well, uh, I mean, what, because I, I, yeah, it sounds like you're talking about only physical plant churches compared to what um, authors like Nona Jones would talk about the, uh, the true internet ministry churches, what yeah. she calls that. I, I, I'm, I'm just trying to clarify what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of the typical brick and mortar that we, okay. we work with. Uh, I understand there's, there's internet church and Zoom church, and there's some good stuff written on that. Um, I think you're running the same thing that we're running into with assessing. You don't really get personal with people in their lives. So, but there are people that are good at it. So, did I did I sidestep that question? Well? <laughs> <laughs> did I act like a director? Good question. Let's try to talk later. If I didn't answer your question. Yes. Well, I was just gonna um, respond, not so much on Sunday mornings, but just experientially when COVID hit, we took our women's ministry online. And that has gone back to in person, except for I lead still a Zoom group of ladies who, uh, for whatever reason, you know, a lot of us work full time and have never been able to go to a Tuesday morning Bible class or whatever. And um, I don't know if it's the exception. I don't think it is actually, but we've made better connections with certain kinds of people through Zoom. Um, that we never would have reached in person. And so I think there's a, a both and, uh, but, but for Sunday mornings, I know it's more like spectator experience than, mm -hmm. uh, than this. But um, yeah, we found there are ways to really build community, like true church community. If you, I think that starts from a foundation of, of prayer and, and posture of how you're approaching it. Yeah. Thank you, Pat. Yeah, what we know is that the innovation churches post-COVID, there's the emphasis on Sunday morning. 
So if we're going to have a digital presence, that would be really helpful outside of the Sunday morning experience. Um, but a stronger focus on small group, groups and ministry outside the four walls. Elevation of the church scattered throughout the week and a shift from creating churches on the events on the church campus to attending their week. So basically what COVID did was taught us that we need to get out of the building. And um, the question is, after COVID, are we going to go back to the building, which a lot of churches are saying, let's get everybody back together, we feel better, or are we going to say, hey, we learned to adapt, let's keep that going, which is what we're doing with Kairos with the assessing. We learned to adapt, should we keep that going or do we dump it all and come back in person? I think COVID has forced us to see church in a bigger, in a bigger level. Teaching at uh, college, uh, they're all online. I don't like it because my belief is just as, as we felt kids needed to be in a class with a teacher, they needed the social aspect, I think adults need the same thing. And I think you're going to be giving degrees, but I think those adults need to be in a class with a teacher getting that kind of experience. Now, I can teach people across the country online, but we, we need that in person, and this has forced us to find more ways to interact with people in person, especially outside of the church. Dan had his hand up. Uh, to say online is less relational, less connected, maybe true, but you can be incredibly impersonal and disconnected and be physically present in a room. Yeah. And if we assume that because people are present, they're connected, we're making a false assumption. Yes. We're counting people instead of waiting people. And, you know, um, so I, I, I think we need to be really, really careful about, yes. about making assumptions about what's happening just because somebody's physically present. You're right. So we're You're assuming right. that because something has a virtual platform, yeah. that therefore it is somehow impersonal. Yeah. Um, it, it's just that's a good not point. that simple. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just not that simple. You're right. You're, that's a good point. Uh, I can catch if somebody's not paying attention in person. I can't do it so much online. But you're right. We should not, and I apologize if I've made no, it sound like, I assume if you're, you're in present, you're, gonna, you're present all, always. Yeah. Because that's what I hated about Zoom churches. If my boys are looking at their phone in church, I can look at them and shame them in front of everybody. <laughs> everybody see me looking at them. But I can't do that online. You know? You know? So, but you're right. You know, we can't assume that. But in person, I can at least see if you're paying attention. I can see if you're, you know, whereas <laughs> the other way. But uh, we have, what do we got, Four, three more minutes. I um, wanted to just quickly say this. Um, so as we train people to plant churches, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of negatives. But here's an interesting thing I find interesting. Uh, here's, a, here's a, that's, I said it twice, didn't I? Here's an interesting thing. Um, it's not just the churches that are having a problem. You know, we had dinner the other night with the, the boys' football coach, and um, they drank a lot. <laughs> I've not been around people ever. But we had a good conversation. My wife and her friends, and we talked, and he was just lamenting about how hard it was to get kids to work hard and come practice and about as a teacher. And he's going on and on. And I said, you know, we're doing the same thing in churches. And they don't go to church, and they're like, really? And then we started talking about you know, when you go out to eat and suddenly the restaurant's only half full but there's a waiting list, and you find out there's people not going back to work, everybody's having a problem getting commitment out of generations, whether it's work, you know, job, career, school, sports, uh, church, 
And sometimes we think, well, we're the only ones losing people. Everybody's struggling to keep people. You know? In fact, the big discussion going on in the business world is leaders, how do you motivate people who don't want to be at work? You know? And so this is a huge issue for everybody. So one of the things that's important is we plant churches. and It's important to realize that, that there's just a lot of factors that are pulling people out of church. It's not an anti-church attitude. Okay, we don't want to think everybody's anti-church. That's not really the case. There's a lot of reasons. You know, we're a very affluent society. You know, people who make a lot of money tend not to give much to nonprofits. Uh, we're uh, recreation and sports. Yeah, are, are big on the weekends. There's a day off mentality. Sunday's my day off. I'm sleeping in. I'm not going to church. Um, with the rise in entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and small business owners, which took off during COVID, right? Um, they're working seven days a week. So getting them to church is difficult. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is um, we are still an important part of the world. And our communities still see the faith community as an important part. And working with nonprofits, with cops, and with uh, uh, you know, abuse agencies, they always want the faith community there. So I've never really seen us as living in a hostile world. I've seen us as living in a world that's extremely busy, that needs a break, and that says, are you even relevant in my life? And this is why we need to plant churches. You see, we need to send out new churches that are going to find ways. How are, how are we going to show these people that God is relevant in their life? How do I show artists? How do I show musicians? How do I show um, uh, people who work seven days a week that God is important in their life? How do I show them that they need to take a Sabbath and that they need to to be there and we need to connect together and how do I show people who sit on a computer and work by themselves all day that they need community so that's the idea of planting is we need to, to send people out who are going to show that we are relevant yes we can do that digitally yes we can do that in person but those are just some important things we need to be reaching people to lead them to Christ because there is a negative view of Christianity um, but we have a declining birth rate and the irrelevant is what's actually killing us, that we, we've served no value in people's lives. I can handle the anti-church, but we serve no value. We have to earn that level of respect. So those are just some, I think, I was going to leave some time uh, actually to ask the question, what opportunities does post-pandemic life offer Christian leaders? I guess we can take five more minutes maybe. No. We're, we're trying to get okay. <laughs> really All right. In the words of Randy, Randy Harris, let's pray. Oh. <laughs> All right. Thank you, God, for this great day. And I just hope we answered as many questions as we could today. But everybody in here I know loves you, and we want to help people. We want people to know you. Um, we know that your spirit has inspired so many creative ways to reach people. Uh, and most importantly, we want people to know you are relevant. You are important. And Father, we just thank you for, for your goodness and your love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.